Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, church. It is so great to see you all here. Welcome to Harvest KL. If this is your first time or your 101st time, you are equally welcome here. We are glad you are here. This morning we will be in 1 John chapter 2. So a couple of weeks ago, we started in a series on uh, in First John, um, and First John places a lot of emphasis on knowing who Christ is, certainty in Christ. Ever since the beginning of Christianity, there have been more or less two opposite temptations. So some have seen the forgiveness of God as an open ticket to do anything they want. God loves us. He forgives us. I can live however I please. Others have focused so much on trying to be obedient to God and being morally pure that they deny God's grace. Both of these are unhealthy distortions of the Christian life. And yet, almost every one of us struggles with one of these too. And maybe we flop back and forth between them. Every single one of us is tempted to abuse God's forgiveness, either by sinning freely or ignoring God's forgiveness by demanding perfection from ourselves and maybe from others as well. You could even think of these two groups as the soft and the severe. We all lean to one side or the other And then we look at the opposite side and say, they're the ones who are wrong. But both sides ignore or underplay what Christ has done. The truth is both sides have some aspects that are right, and both have aspects that are wrong. So this morning, we'll look at a passage that will help us think about How then do we live? How do we navigate these opposite temptations? And how do we live life here in this world? How do we walk free from the bondage of sin and yet not under the unbearable pressure of perfectionism? This passage points us to the resources for living free 
of legalism and rebellion. So let's read the passage, and then we will uh, walk through this together. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I'll read the, the passage. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we'll walk through this in uh, three, just using three phrases from this passage, that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, and walk in the same way in which he walked. So, first part, that you may not sin. John is concerned that people are treating sin lightly. He's not the only one. Uh, you can also read in the letters of Paul that he also is addressing this very same issue. So, for example, in his letter to the Roman church, in Romans chapter 6, he says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Or maybe more literally, no way! How can we, we who died to sin still live in it? Both of these men understand that sin is a universal condition. And that it both grieves and offends a holy God. Even the tiniest of tiny sins disrupts the whole thing. So think of it this way. Most of us have one of these. If you haven't seen one, I would recommend you open your eyes at some point. Because they're just everywhere. And if you want to preserve it, preserve the screen, you might try to get some kind of glass protector on the top of it, right? You done that? Now, in um, my home country, in America, there aren't people that will do it for you. You have to do it like, on your own. And um, it's hard. I don't know if you've done it, and you're probably all better at it than me, but, but you try to lay this thing down, the tiniest little speck of dust screws up the whole thing, right? Even a little bit of what seems like just a little bit of air, it just spreads and messes it all up. That's not unlike what sin does. Even the tiniest bit 
just spreads within us. It's not a small matter. Like we talked about last week, it's like something that is alive, that grows and becomes dangerous. When we act on sin, we feed it. It draws us away from God and it leads us, it leads our hearts further away from true peace. And so this is why John is urging us to abandon sin altogether. If we are to walk with God, then we are called to be holy as God is holy. The first chapter of John told us that through Christ, we have been cleansed of all sin, of all unrighteousness. It's logical to think then that now we can walk free of sin. We can be completely sinless. And sometimes we can put pressure on ourselves that if we sin, then it's all done. We are no longer Christians. And then what we tend to do then is we try for perfection in our own strength. And if that's you, then I can only imagine you are worn out from trying to do this all the time. Others of you may have given up. Maybe you repented at some point, turned to Christ, and then messed up, and then just gave up. If that's you, then maybe you think that you're beyond hope, and that you received forgiveness and then messed it up and lost your salvation. Neither of these is what the Christian life is about. And so John addresses this. But if anyone does sin. John it seemingly already understands this dilemma. He's already expected that maybe someone has this question, this misunderstanding of the Christian faith. He anticipates it by saying, but if anyone does sin, he's letting believers know that that we are in a broken world, and there will be times when we mess up. Take comfort, sinners. This is what makes Christianity unique in all of the world. It anticipates that humans are sinners in a sinful world. Most other religious beliefs depend on a person doing everything right. but we are just too far from perfect. We need help. Perfection does await us, but it is not here yet. It is a time to come when Christ returns. However, we're told here that we have an advocate who will go before God the Father for us. The Greek word here is maybe one, I, I don't typically pull out, you know, a Greek for this is 
Um, but this is one that you may have heard before. It's paraclete. And this just means someone who comes alongside or an advocate. In this case, as one who goes before the Father, Jesus, who is righteous, stands with us. This is simply an amazing statement. Can I get an amen? It begins with the acknowledging that when we sin, we no longer face God alone. We face a holy God with one standing with us, but not just anyone. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the only one in history who can stand before the Father without any concern. He was without sin. For those of us in Christ, his righteousness stands in place of our ledger of sin. We praise God that we have an advocate who will go before us. So I mentioned you may know that word paraclete. It's used elsewhere, and this is probably where you've heard it before in the Gospel of John. It's used actually when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit who will come as a paraclete, as one who comes alongside. It's translated different ways in, in different English translations. Sometimes it says helper, sometimes counselor. These different words in English help us understand the nature of the term. Jesus helps us go before the Father, and when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, this was so that we would have a helper who would help us as we face the world. So John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit of God comes as an advocate of Jesus. He operates within us, teaching us and guiding us to live a holier life. And so, really what I'm trying to get at here is that God, who is known to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is fully active in drawing us closer to himself. It's a beautiful, incredible thing. We sang earlier that, uh, that he is worthy. I believe this passage is just one that just highlights how radiant and worthy he is. So the next verse holds another incredible truth for us. And just as a warning, it's, this passage gets us into some, some theologically deep waters. So just take a deep breath. We're going in deeper into the water. 1 John 2, 2 says, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word propitiation is not only hard to say, uh, but it's also a word you probably don't use on a daily basis. 
I don't know that I've ever gone to the grocery store and heard someone say there is a need for propitiation. Thankfully. Although the chickens probably, I don't know. Some Bible translations use the word atoning sacrifice. But even this word atoning is also one we don't use a whole lot. The sentence helps us understand how Jesus can successfully be our advocate, broken as we are. The propitiation or atoning sacrifices recon sacrifice recognizes that there's a deep conflict between holy God and us. Our sinfulness stands in opposition to God's holiness. And since we cannot remove our own guilt for ourselves, Christ went to the cross as the perfect sacrifice, which took our guilt upon him. As we read in Hebrews 10 earlier, he became the perfect sacrifice once for all time. Jesus himself took took away the wrath of God that really should have been on us. This action of Jesus sent by the Father is an amazing expression of Jesus' love. The initiative is entirely God's initiative. There's a, a, a former pastor, scholar, the late John Stott. He says it this way. This origin is his love, the spontaneous, uncaused love of the Father and Son together. Later in, in 1 John, in chapter 4, verse 10, it says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, there's that word again, for our sins. The end of this verse says, for the sins of the whole world. So what does this mean? Does this mean that everyone in the whole world is saved? If that is the case, I have some questions. But I don't think that is what that means. So what does it mean? Well, one scholar puts it this way. The provision for all has been accomplished. The reception and application of that provision is appropriated by faith. We'll try this another way. In other words, Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for the whole world. But not everyone has received this in faith. Jesus is truly the one and only Savior of the world. There is no other. Those who have placed their trust in Jesus, they can confidently stand before the holy judge of the universe because we have someone who will advocate for us. And when he represents us, it's his righteous sacrifice that atones for us. 
In other words, we stand before God wearing the righteousness of Christ. A number of years ago, my wife and I watched a movie that we had heard, someone had recommended it to us and we uh, heard it was good, but it took us by a surprise. It was, it was really good. Um, it's, the movie is called To End All Wars. Uh, it's not, it's, it was never a box office, um, whatever those are called, box office hit. Thank you. Three little letters, that's all that was, hit. Um, it's based on the memoirs of a guy named Ernest Gordon, a Scottish prisoner of war during World War II in Thailand. He was captured by the Japanese and put into a prisoner of war camp. And during this time, he fell deathly ill while in this camp. There were a couple of men who were particularly devout in their faith in Christ. And they sacrificed their own health in order to help Ernest recover from this illness. Daily giving of their meager food portions, daily boiling cloths and wiping his wounds so that he could get well. These men, devout in their faith, they sought to love everyone well, and even the, the Japanese soldiers who were holding them in prison. They sought to respond to acts of violence with love and kindness. Uh, just, this is a spoiler alert, okay? I'm going to ruin the, the the movie for you but here's the thing even though you know what happens it is still worth watching okay so there you go my endorsement for the day i wasn't even paid for it um so this uh Ernest and a number of others um due to these two guys converted to christ in this camp and they learned to uh, they learned together how to walk in the faith and because the prison guards actually saw how they were now acting, that they worked harder, that they treated people more kindly, they actually then encouraged their Bible study time. They brought them books to read and, and other things. One of the men, his name was Dusty Miller, simple gardener before the war. One day, some of the prisoners uh, had planned an escape, and this plan was found out, and they were going to be punished, and one of them was going to be executed. When Dusty found this out, he went to the, the Japanese prison guards and said, substitute my life for his. So he gave he, his advocacy, he was an advocate for this other man to live. Another man, this other man was not a Christian, had not treated Dusty very kindly, actually, and still Dusty gave his life for him. The Japanese, having been become more aware of Christianity, then sought to execute Dusty, knowing that he was a Christian. And they took him to a big wooden cross and nailed him to it, crucified him. 
even though this is a horrible ending for Dusty in this world, he knew that his eternal life was secured through Christ, whose death on the cross was for the sins of the whole world. Thirdly, let's walk in the same way in which he walked. So we are called to live differently than we did before. And we are called to be different from the world around us. John, John is warning us to turn from sin, to put sin to death. He's also reminding us that we cannot do that but through Christ. The very image of baptism is this, that when we go under the water, we are burying our old selves with Christ. And then when we emerge from the water, we are signaling to the world that our lives are now joined together with the risen Christ, the one who conquered sin and the grave. It's a beautiful picture of the Christian life. But only if it reflects your heart. I have seen some who have said the words and even were baptized. And their lives look no different. They might say they are Christian, but when do they commune with Christ? They might keep a Bible on their nightstand, but when do they hunger for God's word? They might claim to know Jesus, but do nothing in obedience to him. If you see yourself in this, don't hesitate to draw near to God. Be reconciled with our loving Father through Jesus. Verses 4 through 6 encourage, encourages those who claim to know God that they are to obey God. We, but we shouldn't misunderstand this. He, John is not saying that we have to do the right things in order to, to please God, in order to get before God. It's actually completely backwards. God is asking you to come as you are into his loving arms. There's an old hymn that says this, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. The, the hymn writer, Charlotte Elliott, is her name. She understood that you could not approach God through our effort. You see, for, for her, she was raised in a Christian family and had um, early on was a, a writer, wrote um, like humor type columns in the early 1800s, but then fell really ill and became an invalid. <clears throat> and through this dealt with depression and anger and had drawn far from God. One day a pastor visited her and said, asked her if she had peace. She was pretty 
ticked off at first, actually, offended by this. But then realized that she did not have peace. But then she said, you know, but I am too, too great a sinner to come to God. And this preacher said, come just as you are. And so years later, as, after she did come to Christ, she wrote the words to this, this hymn. Probably this hymn was used in uh, Billy, Billy Graham events around the world. Um, probably one of those songs that's had a, a deeper impact than, than most any song in history. In reality, we come to God by confessing our sin and embracing the propitiation of Jesus Christ, the righteous. His blood was shed for you and I. When we are saved by Jesus and the Holy Spirit enters our lives as a helper, then we can begin rooting out the sin in our life. Not before we come to Christ, but in that process after. It will be a painful and hard time of rooting out this sin. We will sometimes mess up, but we can continue because we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse 6 urges us to abide in Christ and walk in the way of Christ. In other words, Christ reconciles us to God and also shows us how to live. As Christians, we bear the name of Christ, and therefore, we are to live in the way of Christ. There's more to be said about this than we can say this morning. But it begins with abiding. What is your daily rhythm? Are you abiding with Christ daily? What does your daily worship look like? Do you say you know him? I'm going to close with another verse of just as I am. Just as I am, thou wilt receive. Wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. Can you pray with me? Father, we come before you knowing that there are so many ways in which we fall short of your glory, of your holiness, of your goodness. And you know that better than we do, far better than And yet, because your love is so great that you sought us out, that you sent your son to die for us. So, Father, we praise you. We thank you that you have rescued us, that you have saved us, that you have given us new life. We thank you that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. Gotta pray for, for those 
around us who do not. Whether they be neighbors or, or family members or uh, co-workers, casual friends. Father, we pray for those who do not have peace in their life. Father, we ask that you would use us to be a messenger of this good news. That they do not have to face judgment alone, but they can face judgment with an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's in his name that we